0: Hello, and welcome to How to Start Up, a podcast for anyone starting a company. This is a collection of conversations with people who have all successfully started, run, and even sold their own companies, sharing not only professional but personal experiences on what we should be doing now, next, or never. Hosted by me, Juliet Fallowfield, founder of PR Consultancy for Startups Fallowfield and Mason. In this episode, we hear from Mariella Tandy, founder of Find Your Rebrand, Alandara, as well as executive retail editor of Country & Townhouse magazine. Alandara was founded in 2015, inspired by a bracelet given to Mariella by her Turkish mother-in-law, who insisted she wear it during her first pregnancy. Today, she shares with us advice on how she always knew that she was going to be a founder, why failing is good, and why your gut feeling is key at all times. How are you, Mariella? And thank you for coming on How to Start. Up. Well, thank you very much for having me, Juliet. I get very excited to be here. What we thought was really interesting is the fact that you've got your own brand and you're writing for a magazine and you juggle a family. What was the first thing that made you want to start your own business? I come from a family of entrepreneurs. And so that was just a natural background for me it was both parents,
1: grandparents. I mean, kind of you look down both the family lines and everyone has always had their own business. And so it was always kind of my destiny, if that makes sense. And I'm quite autonomous as a person. So I don't like listening to orders a lot. And I love to do my thing, which could be quite challenging in a corporate environment, which is where I was for 10 years. But that, again, was great, because it taught me so many different things. Um, When I was working at Condé Nast and working in these big magazines and seeing how they kind of actually work. But I always had this idea in the background to launch my own business. So it was really in a time when you were working for a company in those days when you couldn't have another job right it was like wasn't in your yeah. contract Black and yeah, white. exactly but you just really mm-hmm. couldn't do it but i had a blog on the side for a, about a year when blogging was in its infancy but it just took up so much of my time so i i dropped that then i still had this urge to do something so then i started a precursor to bestia collective these um resale clothing things and then that was around for sort of a year. But at the time, my boss found out about it and she went yeah. absolutely crazy. She was just like, how can you have another job? How can you have another business? It's unacceptable. And I said, well, I'm not doing anything during work time. You know, I really wasn't, you know, you can go through all of my emails, all my phone logs. At that point, I didn't have a family. I said, I'm working on it before I go to work and when I finish work. And that's what I like to do. You know, some people want to go to the pub, but I want to do my own business. And I said to her, listen, there's so many examples within the company of mm. people who are writing books, doing freelance styling. Many other things, consulting everything else. I said, you know, why can't I have my own business? So we kind of came through an agreement where it was not spoken about, but it was okay. And so I did that for about a year and a half. And then business ran out of cash and I wasn't in a place to really grow it by myself. So unfortunately, I had to close it down. And if I look back, I should have just mm. kept going and found a way around it, but I didn't. And it would have meant that I would have had to have left my full time job at Condé Nast to concentrate on that. But I really just wasn't ready at the time. I just had my first baby and I was kind of in this world of feeding the baby and then being at work and it was just crazy, sleepless and everything else. So I really wasn't in a position personally to go and do that. So I went back to Connie Nast full-time after my first baby. But then I used still, like I said, I had this urge to do something by myself again. And it just kind of, you know, came really naturally, my kind of third business idea. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know whether you know the story, but my mother-in-law had given me a little evil eye bracelet, my mother-in-law is Turkish, to wear when I was pregnant with my first child. And she said, Turkey, you never, ever, ever can be pregnant without an evil eye on you at all times. You must wear one. And I said, okay, that's interesting because, you know, I'm really into spirituality and astrology and tarot and all of these things. So I've always been into kind of this side of life. And so I said, you know, I know a bit about the evil i but you know, please tell me more about it. And so she told me all about it and the symbology behind it. And that really interested me. So I kind of looked a bit more into it. And then when I got home back to London, everyone was like, oh, I love your bracelet, you know. And I said, of course, next time I go to Turkey, I'll get you some. Went out there. There wasn't really anything like that. It was all really tacky, touristy, gold-plated kind of stuff where you swim in it and all of a sudden it's silver, right? But you've actually paid quite a lot of money for it, or it breaks, or the stones are just plastic. And I thought, no, 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 I just, what am I going to do? So I found this lady through my mother-in-law who made me 20 bracelets to begin. And I took them back to London and my friends bought them. And that's really how my business started, was just This one bracelet that I had made and selling them to my friends, and really from there
0: it grew. Amazing. So, you sort of tested yeah. the market to see if there's an appetite for it. Exactly,
1: exactly. And had a vague idea of what I may call the business, but that was really it at that point in time.
0: And when did it become an official thing? At this point, I was still on maternity leave with my second
1: child. And I thought, okay, well, I managed to sell 20 of these in like 10 days. So, probably there's a market for this. So, I did a bit more research and looked at jewellers in that marketplace. And I crystallized my idea. So, my idea was that it would all be around talismanic symbols and it had to be fairly priced. It had to be real, right? So whatever it was, you know, was solid gold, 18 carat. The enamel really, you know, had to stand the test of time. So I had to find somewhere that Mm. could really make it amazing. And so I really wanted these pieces from the beginning that were really there to protect someone that you could wear from the moment you woke up to the moment you went to sleep and they were just there for you in your life and they wouldn't break And it's the kind of thing that you could pass down. And I was really adamant about having that forever quality about all the pieces and the business. So I had this idea in mind and then I thought, okay, I have this idea about what to call it. So my mother-in-law's maiden name is Alamdara. And so I thought, okay, great, nice name and has a meaning behind it. So then I set about doing the logo and everything else. And in the beginning, I had no money. And so I said to my husband, who works in tech, can you help me? He's like, yeah, absolutely. You know, I can build a website really quickly for you. He made a really simple logo in black and white. And Connie Nasté, I knew where to send all the products to be photographed. You know, I had that background. So I was like, okay, I'm going to send all my things there. And in the beginning, it was just so, so simple. And we just launched with that. And I started telling a few people and obviously wearing my jewelry to events and in the first month, we had orders from mm-hmm. three big online retailers at that point in time. And that then gave me the capital to make the logo better, get wow. really nice packaging made, and do all the things that I wanted to do, whereas I couldn't do that in the beginning. And so it was kind of a work in progress, which is interesting because I feel like so many people yeah. wait. To start a business until everything is perfect and I just think that's probably not the way to do it because you've got to evolve and that really just got started once you've started things then come to you because you're out there people see it yeah. they give you advice you can always change things right like everything in life nothing is static if you don't like it whatever it is you can change it
0: and I think that's the other thing if you don't tell anyone what you're doing no one's looking so you can test stuff no and you get know. that feedback to be able to evolve it better that's really interesting so for you it's a very simple I've created a product that I genuinely believe in that it's something that will last I've got qualitative pack shots that will go to press and setting up your press office getting the right simple tools in place and then let that word of mouth do the rest for you and then sort of fuel the fire with that a little bit more And then with the retailers, how did you work with them? Because that would be a whole other negotiation. Do you have any advice on that?
1: In the beginning, so this was around 2017, it was a really different landscape. I mean, it wasn't even that long ago, but there were a lot more online retailers. They had a lot of investment. And it was just a different kind of thing now because now I know lots of the retailers do things on consignment, which is really terrifying for a tiny brand. And then I know lots of them can't do it, but in those days, it wasn't consignment. And it was very much, send us your line sheet. Mm. A week later, the orders came in and it was 50% payment upfront, 50% when it was delivered. It was just really simple. And I think I was lucky as well because I had a lot of contacts from working in the magazine industry. And so I knew the people who were placing the orders or they were a friend of a friend. Mm. And it wasn't terrifying to me because if I did have a question, I could just quickly talk to them or I could talk to someone who would connect me with someone who knew about online retail or whatever it was. So I was very much lucky that I was in the industry and I had all these people that I could talk to if I had any query.
0: But you also put your hand up to ask. And I think that's something that a lot of people is like, I don't know the answer. Who do I know that could connect me with the person that will know the answer? And just going after it. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And British, even though I'm not fully British,
1: we're always like oh you know like very humble and everything but there is something to be said about the American way of doing things just like going for Mm. it like oh I need help or can you put me in touch with the person because you know that's who I really need to speak to and nine times out of ten people are really sweet
0: and willing to help. People really do like helping other people but they they know what you might need and I think that's my huge learning in the last couple of years if you don't tell people they're not going to know on so many things and it's just so important to put your hand up and ask for that help. So you got your retail sorted, Your obviously your product was sorted, then you worked on your branding. And I think sort of that bend, flex, grow mentality of yeah. do a bit more, do a bit even more. And where are you at today with it? So up until about, I'd say
1: 2019, we were pursuing that retailer first pass for the business. And then around that time, I just said loads of them were closing all of a sudden because they'd run out of cash. And it was changing. The landscape was changing quite a bit. And of course, then these massive DTC brands came along. And I was looking at them thinking, okay, that's kind of maybe a smarter way of doing things. So we pivoted the business more to DTC, which has been great for us. So we did that around yeah, mm. 2019. And it's just been the best thing for us, really, just to be able to connect directly with the consumer. is fantastic and just to be in control of everything because what also was worrying me that I'd spoken to a couple of friends who have businesses in that kind of online retail environment. And they were saying when these businesses were buying their stock, then they were obviously in full control of it. And if they wanted to discount it, then they couldn't do anything about that, because maybe they hadn't negotiated the contract properly saying, I don't know, you can't discount it or don't discount it more than a certain amount or anything like that. And so that didn't happen to us. But I was very aware of friends that it did happen to and it kind of destroyed their businesses because, you know, someone Mm -hmm. would go online and search for a certain handbag brand, let's say. And these Big retailers, of course, they're owning all the yeah. SEO. So that's what's coming up first. And then they're clicking through onto that. And then they're seeing, okay, X brand is discounted by 80%. That's not a good feeling for anyone. So mm-hmm. I had this in my mind. And so we really pivoted no. to just being, you know, complete control of our stock, of our
0: shipping and everything else. And it's worked brilliantly for us because I do remember a conversation I think we had about six years ago where you were like oh no no I was at midnight kitchen table packing packaging the product up to go out and you've yeah. clearly grown the business to a phenomenal level and scaled it to a point where I presume that's not happening anymore
1: <laughs> well no you say that um but I am I'm not a control freak but I do love I love packing the orders I love it So yeah, yeah, we've got a team now that obviously does it, but we actually don't outsource that because it's really specific in the way that we package Mm -hmm. it. We have tiny little team that we use now that we have at home. And so they're doing all the orders, but it's still all in-house actually. All hands on deck. That's incredible. Yeah. And it doesn't really get like out of control. I mean, I think that conversation was probably when Meghan Markle wore our jewelry for the first time and we were just Inundated with orders, it was crazy, and we weren't expecting it. And so I think that was midnight packing around the kitchen table, um, which was wild. Nice problem to to have. have. (laughs) Really nice problem to have. Yeah.
0: Well, you mentioned SEO before. How important, as a DTC brand, is that to your business now? Very, but it's become more tricky since the pandemic, and the amount of money that you Mm. have to
1: spend on it now for it to work has really gone crazy Mm -hmm. and i think that's true for many many brands so we're at the point now we're kind of reassessing what is the best path really to gain new customers and to really kind of control that arena but it's a tricky one and it's one that we're really still navigating i don't have an answer to that all i can say was like three or four years ago it was a lot cheaper and a lot easier to Mm -hmm. kind of navigate that area
0: 'Cause we often speak to clients, it's like, Oh no, no, we're just gonna do PR and get editorial. It's like, No, there's so many other ways so you many. can get word of mouth and I think word PR needs to be rebranded to be called word of mouth because you in your community at the beginning, that word of mouth was what grew your business or started your business is people knowing about it. And it could be a friend of a friend of a friend. And that word of mouth is so powerful. But sort of here today, we're July 2022. Are you still looking at all those sort of marketing mixes and trying to work out? We have
1: a digital marketing lady who works with us and she's really in charge of all of that because that is just not my speciality and so one of the things that I think is really useful for other people to know is like always kind of outsource if you don't know because there's only so much stuff that you can know you know I'm not a digital marketing specialist but I know that that is going to grow my business even more so that's where I want to you know, put the money into hiring someone who is able to do that for me. Now, I can do many other things, but that is not my speciality. Mm. So we outsource that.
0: But to have someone with that knowledge is just
1: amazing. Yeah. And that's not me.
0: Also, might not want to be you. There's bits that I know I don't know, exactly. but I eventually want to learn. But there's bits like, yeah. no, I'm happy for someone else yeah, to take that for off sure, my plate. For sure. have it. Yeah. <laughs> And that's the other thing I think I've become really comfortable with of, of trying things and not everything's right. going to work. And how have you come to be at peace with that try and maybe fail occasionally?
1: I'm always up for failing. I really don't have a problem around that because I would prefer to have tried it and for it to fail always. So I have that mindset anyway, which is helpful, right? And You're comfortable with it. Yeah. yeah, and it doesn't bother me. It's not like a personal failure if something doesn't work. And no. so I think that's really helpful, hey, to just be built like that in the first place. And there's no shame attached to it. None whatsoever. Oh. And, you yeah. know, I find... In this life, you know, people are very, very quick to judge or make comments about entrepreneurs or when things don't go well or things like that. And you just think, well, you've never actually started a business. You know, it's very easy to sit in your chair and criticize other people. And you have that in mind and and you just got to do what you need to do and go forward with your vision and really try not to listen to other people, which, you know, is obviously can be hard sometimes but I mean that's just mm. the way that it works for me you're not an idiot if you fail yeah. you're only an idiot if you don't learn from your failure Ooh, so that's like always that. in the back of my mind and it's something that I teach my kids yeah. as well like it's okay to fail yeah that's how you're gonna learn
0: and it shows you've tried shows you've given you tried. it a go
1: exactly yeah. and you 100% from every failure have brilliant lessons from it so it's really yeah. painful at the time when it happens maybe but absolutely you go on and you're like oh I'm so glad that that happened in that way because maybe it was a little failure and then there's a big pitfall coming. And because of that small failure, you're like, OK, I can see that bump in the road. You know, let me navigate around that. So everything in life is, is for a reason.
0: This is very true. Something that I have huge respect for is the fact that you also have a family and four kids. Given time is the most precious resource to me and has been for very much two years. How on earth do you manage the juggle? Yeah, well, I'm not really a
1: perfectionist
0: right? So mm. I don't seek perfection in anything,
1: really. Obviously, I seek perfection in the jewellery. So like, let's say I get the, the stock in, and I'm checking everything, and that has to be perfect. But I don't believe there's yeah. such a thing as being a perfect mum, or being a perfect entrepreneur, or being the most perfect journalist. And I mean, when I was working at Connie there were certainly girls around me that had that mentality and i would just sit some of them down and i'd be like you're you're draining yourself right like nothing is ever going to be good enough for some people.
0: And no one's going to come and tap you on the back and go, right, today you've made it, you're perfect. You've done it. It's never achievable.
1: Exactly. And it's not like that because perfect for you is imperfect for the next person. So I have my other, I write, I'm a contributor at Country and Townhouse. So Well, I was going to say the third part of
0: this is that you're also a journalist (laughs) at the
1: same time as well. Um, (laughs) Which is awesome. You know, it's an amazing magazine and, you know, I I adore the editor and she's great. And so to have that as well is actually really fun. And they all kind of feed into one another, really. And so, yes, it's a busy day, you know, but I don't split it in any way. So I get up and deal with the kids. And then most of them are off to school. And then I'm not going to lie, I have a nanny helping me with a baby. So I have that day. My husband's amazing. He's super supportive. He's also an entrepreneur. He gets it. So each day is completely different. And I love that because I don't like routine. Mm -hmm. So I love the fact that I have all these different things going on. And it's kind of like a fun balancing act.
0: What are some of the biggest challenges that you faced in your startup journey and how have you overcome them? There are things that I really dislike. I don't like the accounting side of things. Everyone says that apart from me. No, no.
1: Some people love it, but I'm, I mean, I love a spreadsheet. I do love a spreadsheet, but you know, the kind of boring things where you have to, I don't know, do your tax return or something like that. Like I will leave that until the last minute. But in terms of challenges, I mean, I guess the main ones were really in the beginning when the cash flow was really tight. And I was just like, okay, I have this vision. I'm just going to go with it. And there were months where we were like, oh my God. But then something always comes up, right? And you might get like a gigantic order or I remember there was one month, and I was like, "Okay, this is really close mm-hmm. to the edge." And a company called me and said, "Can you make a thousand units of something worldwide? We want to send it out to our clients." And yet, all of a sudden, like this big inflow of cash came in. But I always believe in that in life about thinking it will always happen. And if it doesn't happen, it will you out. Can deal with that. Yeah. We'd always have a little bit of cash left in the bank in the beginning. And I thought, okay. Like if nothing else comes in during that time, that at least that's still there. But then something else always did come in. Mm. And it's a weird thing to say, but I never expected that, you know, that big order wouldn't mm. come in.
0: And you tested the market, you'd researched the product, you knew it was a viable product to sell. I think that's a lot of, observed, a lot of brand behavior. If the product is good, it will happen. It's just doing all the other things around it. But you have yeah. to be so fundamentally sure that your product is a winner and back there. Yeah. And that blind faith that isn't really yeah. blind because you've done the research that you, in the dark days you keep yeah. plugging away at it and that determination is so so important
1: oh it is yeah. and it was also again like I was the end consumer for my product really I mm. thought okay if I like it which I do and I wear it which I do and my friends wear it and people are buying it then there's a market for this number one and also like I'm selling to me Right. So, what would I like? Mm. You know, what are the things that I would wear it with? What Mm. are the things that I'm looking for in a brand? And that made it slightly easier as well, coming from the background that I did at Condé Nast, where I was an executive retail editor. So, I had this overview of the jewelry market, the fashion market, the beauty market. So, I was continually seeing what else was out there. Um, what other people were doing. Mm. So I was coming to this quite far ahead, maybe of someone who had just never been in that world and thought, okay, maybe let's try this. Like by the time that I got my first logo together, I had a pretty strong sense that there was kind of a small gap in the market for what I was trying to do, because I hadn't seen it before. So if I hadn't have seen it and I was exposed to everything mm. pretty much, then it was something that should hopefully. Well, and it
0: also sounds you've done something really crucial that a lot of our clients come to us and we help them with is find your audience and know who your audience is. Like what problem are you trying to solve for who? And if you can focus yeah. on that and really drill down on that and make sure that audience is keen to hear from you and it's solving their problem, yeah. you have a business. Yeah. You've got a viable business model. Feedback is so important. How do you go about garnering that feedback from Existing clients, lapsed clients, future clients, like do you look at that and constantly evolving your product offering with that in mind? We obviously send out an email after post-purchase and people get in touch. I say obviously, it. but a lot of people oh, really? don't do that. So, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, okay. We send like, out email. obviously have an amazing email marketing strategy. <laughs> yeah, okay. no, that's interesting.
1: Um, no, I mean, that was, you know, one of the things, this email marketing strategy that, again, I wouldn't have necessarily known about, but having someone who does know about it, you know she was like these are the things that you've got Mm. to do you know you've got to do these things these steps and they're such simple things that a business can do and they make such a huge difference right because all of a sudden sending out that email you know two weeks post-purchase or a week post-purchase and getting the feedback is great and it's just really nice to be able to be in constant touch with a customer like that so I'm not really evolving the product With the feedbacks, it's not really that kind of thing because I feel like when a business starts to do that, you're trying to be everything to all people because you've got to have that vision, right? It's not your customer that is going to have that vision. You're the one with the vision. You're the one that started this. You know what you're doing. And maybe if they don't like it, of course, then they can just return it. That's not a big
0: deal. And what do you love the most about being your own boss? Oh my gosh, everything. I love
1: everything. (laughs) Like I said, I mean... It's a character thing, right? So I... You found your calling. Yeah. I just love it. I'm very creative. You know, I love coming up with ideas and just to have the freedom to do that just for myself as and when I want to is amazing. I love traveling. I love traveling with my children. I can do that with this business.
0: I think for me, I have love the fact that I can go where the weather I want yes. to be in is. So whether it'll <laughs> yes. be sun, sea, ski, it's raining in London, yeah. I'll just nip somewhere else. I, you can, especially the pandemic has expedited that expectation. All oh, bets are Thank off you. now, that I mean, freedom. It's changed like, yeah.
1: A, so much since COVID and the pandemic. And even mm. in the years before that, it changed a lot, kind of, where you can work from and stuff. Like, I remember coming back from my first maternity leave into Condé and asking for a four day a week, and it was denied. And, you know, I had friends who were in the same position, yeah. and their things were denied. And it was, like, on the basis of what, <laughs> you know?
0: And you were expected to be at a desk in Mayfair. At 10 exactly, to 9, otherwise exactly. you weren't working properly. And it's just yep. a
1: really restrictive way of working, I guess. And, you know, things are already changing. Like by this time I had my second baby, they then did grant me sort of a four-day work mm. week with one at home or whatever it mm. was. But it was still mm. very much viewed in those days. That that day from home was really suspicious, mm. you know. It was like, oh, well, you're obviously not going to work, you know.
0: Um, there's no so trust. it's just
1: brilliant the way that things have changed. Yeah.
0: Are there any other golden nugget pieces of advice you'd like to offer a new founder? anything not to do, now to do or never to do? What not to do? I I just don't believe in that. I think that each person has their own path in life. Each person has their own path in
1: business. Something that works for me may not work for you. Something that works for you may not work for me. So try everything that you think is relevant. I'm a big, big believer in trusting your gut. Massive sixth sense. If you feel for whatever reason that there is something wrong with maybe what you're putting out there, or you don't get a good feeling about something that you're doing, a person that you're working with, you know, it could even be your business partner, trust that feeling, right? Don't ignore it. Because I've seen so many businesses over the years that Mm -hmm. have had an issue, and they've ignored it. And maybe it's fine for a year, maybe it's fine for two years, but then it blows up. And that explosion, whenever it comes, is just crazy. Mm -hmm. And most people will say, oh, I felt that in the beginning, you know, I should have listened to that. Or I shouldn't mm. have done this campaign. Or It's
0: never wrong. No, it never,
1: never, ever, wrong. ever. So, I yeah. mean, we've all done it, right? We've all, like, overridden yeah. that feeling. But it's a central part of now, like, my beliefs and who I am and how I run my business is, is the feeling. Like, is this right? Mm, no. Okay, I don't know why it's not right. You know, sometimes you don't even have an answer for why it's not right. But really, really trust yourself. So, I mean, one of the main things is really trusting that yeah. feeling right and if you feel like you need a second opinion on something then like we said in the beginning you know raise your hand ask someone there will always be someone that you know or that a friend knows or that a business colleague knows there will be someone that you can go to and I promise most people are amazing right and they will try and help you
0: wonderful thank you Mariella so much for coming on how to start up it's been wonderful chatting to you and best of luck with all things thank you yeah it's been great If you'd like to contact Mariella, you can find all of her details in the show notes, along with a recap of the advice that she has so kindly shared. Thank you for listening to How to Start Up. I hope these conversations offer you some confidence, encouragement and reassurance that you're on the right track. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd be so appreciative if you were to rate, review and subscribe, as it will really help other people starting a company discover it.